0: I haven't given my kidneys a second thought until recently. A recent poor blood test indicated a problem with my kidney function. As a result, today on episode 125, Glenn and I are speaking with the amazing Rick Johnson, MD, about all things kidney and more. This is Dr. Johnson's third time on the show, this time to drill down into how to keep our kidneys healthy and a related bit about how to avoid Alzheimer's. Declining kidney function is a normal feature of aging. Perhaps it is a driver of aging. And as I am trying to age as slowly as possible, I must keep my kidneys healthy. Do you even know how to take care of your kidneys? Do your blood tests show dropping EGFR year after year? Is your creatinine elevated? Is your blood pressure going up as you get older? Do you ever get dehydrated? Do you ever take ibuprofen? Oh yeah, this episode is for you and me both. Dr. Johnson is a practicing physician, clinical scientist, and a world expert on sugar and especially fructose and its role in health. His research has been largely supported by the National Institute of Health, the NIH, and he is one of the most cited scientists in his field and has published more than 750 papers and lectured in over 45 countries. All right, let's talk to Dr. Rick Johnson about keeping our kidneys healthy. Dr. Rick Johnson, welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast.
1: Thank you. It's great to be back. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> I think it's been about a year and a half since you were on, but this is your third time on the show. Thank you for being a, a friend to the Wise Athletes Podcast. I got to tell you, maybe I should say warn you that uh, I have high expectations of you. <laughs> I'm in trouble. From both of the last episodes that we did, I made big changes to my lifestyle that I think have worked out really for the better. Although, you know, maybe some of it is preventative and uh, and the bad things that would have happened didn't happen. Uh, and it's, it's hard to give you full credit for what didn't happen, but exactly. I will anyway. When you were on before, you were talking to us about the unholy connection between sugar and in particular fructose and gout and high blood pressure and kidney damage and insulin resistance. And so, you know a lot about a lot of stuff. And so, we're going to get into a lot of stuff today. It's scary. <laughs> I want to start with the kidney, because that's your specialty, right? That's my specialty. Yeah, you, I mean, you not ju- you're not just a researcher. You're not just a scientist. You're a kidney doctor. You have, you treat patients. Yes, I've been taking care of patients
1: with kidney disease for many decades, and I'm also the founding editor of our main textbook uh, in, wow. in kidney disease. It's now in the uh, seventh edition.
0: Wow, wow. Yeah. So that's, that's worked out really well for you. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. well, thank Seven you. additions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really good. Well, so, you know, when I was preparing to chat with you, I, I was sort of looking up, I had sort of kidney, kidney function on the brain because uh, I recently had a blood test and my EGFR was lower than it should have been. And I'm thinking, Dr. Johnson could tell me more <laughs> about this, what's going on. And we can get back into that. But anyway, so I, I was looking at you know, leading causes of death. And uh, the kidney's on there. It's on the top 10, isn't it? It's, I think it's number eight. And so maybe that's why it doesn't get as much press as like the heart does or the liver does. Well,
1: this is is one thing where the kidney docs don't want to be in the top 10. So the higher it is, the the closer to one, the worse it is for us. We don't want that. And you don't want that either. Yeah, we're shooting to get out of the top 10.
0: Maybe you're saying that you're only number eight because you guys have done such a good job, okay? But uh, what I was trying to say was that um, you guys, you kidney guys, are just not getting the press that the heart and the you know the liver, the metabolic guys are uh, getting. And you know, and I was going to be funny and say, oh man, man, that must have been a bummer for you as a kidney doc. But your research kind of found out some you know root causes of kidney problems that are also root causes of metabolic problems and heart problems and all those other things. So you've kind of I think you've sort of raised the profile of the <laughs> kidney all by yourself.
1: Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so Okay,
0: and we're and, and so what I wanted to do here at first, I mean, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff here, but I want to start with the kidney until uh, recently, I didn't. I really didn't know much about it. The kidney's kind of boring. It, what is it doing anyway? I don't even know what it does. And so- Okay. Um, well, that's, you know, let's have a brief brief story yeah, about the kidneys. And I've got two. And so if something goes <laughs> wrong, I'm covered. What's the big deal?
1: Well, that's. it is good to have two kidneys because you can give one away. And that's why uh, kidney transplant is such a powerful thing because you can live with one kidney. So the first thing to know is that um, yeah. You know, it's great that we have two kidneys. It gives us more versatility and yeah. um, and we can help others. But anyway. Okay. Well, tell but us getting, what the kidney does. Yeah. So the kidney filters the blood, right? The blood flows through the kidney. Uh, it gets about 25% of the cardiac output. Uh, so a lot of it. What a lot does that of, mean? Well, a lot of blood is going through the kidney and the kidney filters it. And filters out the wastes. So every day, we're uh, we have metabolism and we're making energy, but we're getting waste. We we have waste products that we have to get rid of, and uh, we we get rid of those waste products in the urine.
0: And the, and how does the kidney know <laughs> what to get rid of? Now I actually know <laughs> the answer to this, and so I was what I had. Um, heard was that there was no way for the kidney to figure out all the new stuff (laughs) that it needs to get rid of. You know, the food companies putting all kinds of things in our stuff. And so how could the kidney know about that? And it actually is way smarter than that. Well, how does the kidney know? Well, the
1: kidney is pretty smart, but it can be tricked and chemicals and drugs and toxins can get into the kidney and cause problems. So it's it's not perfect, but the kidney is pretty good at cleaning the blood. And it does a number of other things too. But uh, when you start getting kidney disease, it can become a problem because you start to build up these waste products. And so you start feeling weak and-
0: You build them up where?
1: In your blood. And, and, and so like if a person goes into kidney failure, typically, typically they'll maintain their urine output till the very late stages. So the, the urine doesn't go away um, and in fact, one of the early signs is that you can't, you have to pee more often. You're not peeing as much, but you're peeing more often.
0: But there's less waste in the
1: pee? That's right. It's not good pee. It's not getting rid okay. of all the things you need. And so some of the early signs is that, that you have to get up at night a lot more than you used to. Uh-oh. And that that can be a sign. But it could also mean that you were just <laughs> drinking a little too much before you went to bed, you know? <laughs> so there's you know, there's a lot of things where you can, um, people can get worried because the symptoms initially are sort of bland. You know, you're weak, you don't have as much energy. Uh, and then later in the course you might start itching, you can get chest pain, you can get some confusion. But anyway, but but when the kidneys fail, uh, you, you start getting really sick, your bones get weak. Um, and so we don't want the kidneys to fail. And the two major causes of kidney failure are high blood pressure and diabetes. And so some of these big diseases that, diabetes, obesity, and so forth, um, they are can be associated with kidney disease. So what's interesting is that when people start developing kidney disease, they don't have to be diabetic or hypertensive. You. There's an association with just this thing called metabolic syndrome, where if you're just overweight uh, and you have high triglycerides in your blood and you have a little fatty liver and so forth, mildly elevated blood pressure. Some of these individuals also are developing early kidney disease. And in fact, uh, early kidney disease are very low-grade, small, you know, not severe kidney disease, very mild is common in people uh, with metabolic syndrome. So when you, and and things like sugar, uh, which can cause metabolic syndrome, if you give a lot of sugar to an animal, they'll develop some kidney damage too. So sugar is one of the things that can cause mild kidney disease. Another one is gout. If you have gout or high uric acid, that is associated with low grade kidney disease too. So you can get kidney disease with metabolic syndrome. And then as we get older, uh, the wise athletes we are, as we get older, uh, just aging is associated with some decrease in kidney function. Interestingly, I did a study in animals and I could block aging associated kidney disease if I blocked sugar. Metabolism. So, I think that, the, that we're on a lot of high carb diets. A lot of us are eating too much carbs. And in animals, the high carb diet can actually lead to some kidney, some aging associated kidney disease. And you can block that if you reduce your carbs and sugar, at least in the animal.
0: That's really interesting. So there's something that is happening, some accumulating damage, I guess. I mean, I guess your, your body tries to repair your kidneys, I assume, when they get damaged. Just like everything else, the repairing doesn't work perfectly, and there's little damage that accumulates over time. And, and one of the ways you know it in a kidney, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here, so help me if I'm wrong, is that your EGFR is going down and your creatine or cystatin C is going up.
1: Yeah. You're talking about all the blood tests. So, uh, you know,
0: so it's kind of interesting.
1: So the, the, um, the kidneys when they get injured are c- continuously trying to repair themselves. If they get damaged a lot, will start showing up with positive blood tests. And, um, and the classic one is called creatinine
0: uh-huh.
1: and that will go up when it goes up. It's bad. And it means that your kidney function is declining.
0: Is that one of the things, is that one of the waste products that's not getting filtered out enough?
1: It is a product that's a waste product from muscle that we do get rid of every day. Uh, And so it does build up when the kidneys start to not work as well. Okay, But, But it's interestingly, there's another substance called creatine, not creatinine, but creatine. And this is a supplement that people will use to build their muscle. And if you're eating a lot of creatine, it can help the muscle for sure. But what's interesting is it will make the creatinine go up as well. Okay. Because some of the creatine gets converted to creatinine. But that is not, that is a false positive. Right. Because your kidneys not actually getting worse. It's just that you're taking a supplement that makes the blood test be higher than it should be. So like if you are, uh, you know, an athlete and you're taking creatine and you go in and someone says, oh, you've got kidney disease. And you go, why, why do you, Why do I have kidney disease? They say, well, your creatinine is two and normal is one. And and then you get scared. Uh, the first thing to do is to stop the creatine supplements and. After a couple of weeks, get retested, and your creat- creatinine should go back to normal.
0: There's another test they could do, right?
1: Yes, yeah, cystatin C. There are other. There are a lot of other tests that people are using, but yes. You, so there are all these different tests that people can use to measure kidney function.
0: Because one of the things that was a problem for me, I think, I did the cystatin C, and it came back normal, and I'm good. It was muscle mass. It wasn't supplementation of creatine. It was, I have a high muscle mass.
1: Yeah. So if you have a higher muscle mass, that will also make your creatinine a little higher Yeah. because the creatinine reflects the muscle mass. So like I've taken care of NFL football players Mm -hmm. whose kidney function looks bad because their creatinine is like two, but actually it's all from muscle. Right. And so then you measure the Cystatin C or another test, and you can show that. So you can have a high creatinine because you're taking creatine supplements, and that you can have normal kidney function, or you may be very muscular, and that can also give you a high creatinine. So there are these tricks. Likewise, if you have low muscle mass, your creatinine may be low, lower than normal.
0: Oh, and you're—you may look like you have great kidney function, yes. but you don't.
1: Like there was this study done years ago by a guy named Salo Clark, where he, they were looking at this malnourished tribe in Venezuela, in the jungles, and it, you know um, they were actually a lot of them had kidney disease, bad kidney failure, but their um, creatinines were normal, but because they had such low muscle mass. It was artificially low. Their kidney function was worse than they thought. We now know that, you know, that the kidneys are actually kind of important. And if you have high blood pressure, you probably have something going on in your kidneys as well. One of the big discoveries in the last uh, couple decades was that high blood pressure is really a kidney problem. And um, the kidneys... Uh, when you have very high blood pressure, the kidneys are having trouble getting rid of salt in, in a in a lot of cases, not every not all cases. But in many, many situations where you have high blood pressure, the problem is that the kidney has a relative defect in handling salt, and that's why low salt diets can lower blood pressure because they're reducing that salt exposure. Studies by a number of people have shown that even though the EGFR is normal or the kidney function is normal if you look in the kidneys you'll see low grade inflammation and that inflammation is playing a role in keeping the kidneys ho- to making the kidneys hold on to salt so the way to view the kidneys is our kidneys are critical they do a lot of very good things for us as we get older our kidney function tends to decline but Usually it's not significant. The only issue is if it does decline, the most important thing is to adjust your medications for the kidney function. If it starts to decline a lot, it becomes a serious problem. And, and that's you know when the kidney doctors jump in there and there are medications we can give to help slow the kidney from getting worse. And there's medications like, sometimes there's, there's different kinds of kidney disease and some require special treatments and so forth. But the most common causes of kidney disease are diabetes and high blood pressure. So if you have those two diseases or one of those diseases, the most important rule is control that blood pressure, get your diabetes under good control. And if you have metabolic syndrome, cut back on sugar. Sugar is clearly uh, the driver, uh, it's a big driver of metabolic syndrome and high glycemic carbs are too, like bread, rice and potatoes, cut back on those if you've got early kidney disease and metabolic syndrome, and that'll help you.
0: Okay. And is high blood pressure one of the markers of metabolic syndrome?
1: Yes. So uh, elevations in blood pressure are early markers of, of metabolic syndrome. And then uh, as metabolic syndrome worsens, you can develop frank hypertension, severe hypertension. So hypertension is part of that whole thing.
0: And we're going to get into some of that detail. But I wanted to talk about the kidney a little bit more and just find out if, you know, if I've got my blood, my blood pressure is going up and it is probably related to my kidney function and maybe my kidney markers are getting worse. Is there some way to make the kidney healthy again? Or is it kind of a one-way road where it's like prevention is everything because you can't undo your mistakes?
1: Well, there are several things that can cause bad kidney trouble. And one is medication. So medicines like uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen.
0: Yeah.
1: These are drugs that can hurt the kidney over time. So, um, you know, review the medicines you're on. Maybe look them up on Google or talk to your doctor. But the number one medicine that can cause kidney trouble are these things called non-steroidals. And they're over-the-counter. Ibuprofen, Advil. Don't take a lot of those. Aspirin's okay. Tylenol's okay. But the non-steroidals, um, if you take a lot of them, it's not good for the kidney. And if you have kidney disease, you've got to kind of avoid them.
0: Okay. Athletes tend to do that. I mean, there was a time in my life when I took a lot of them, and I hope I...
1: I took care of an NFL football player, and they would have these buckets where the people would just grab some of these NSAIDs yeah. and take them, and he got into trouble from that. A second medicine... Our proton pump inhibitors like omeprazole yeah. and some of those over the counter, they can rarely cause kidney disease. So, if you get developing kidney disease, stop that medicine if you can. not Talk to your doctor about it.
0: Those are the medicines. Oh, we're talking about the athlete here. Yes. And so NSEDS is clearly a part of the athletic world. I think that dehydration is, a, is an issue, as well as, I mean, people don't, are not only just getting dehydrated, they're trying to hydrate with a lot of electrolytes. So talk about all of that. Oh yes, let's talk about that. So
1: the other two, diabetes and hypertension, you wanna get your blood pressure under control, you wanna get your blood sugar under control. But the, for the athlete, the most, one of the most common causes of kidney disease is dehydration. And mm-hmm. it's true for everybody, but it's especially true for people working outside for people who are athletes, marathon runners, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so dehydration can injure the kidney. And we actually showed that you can get both uh, acute injury to the kidney as well as chronic damage to the kidney with repeated heat stress and dehydration. And in fact, there's a kidney disease that's emerged in Central America in the sugar cane workers and these poor guys are out there cutting cane all afternoon in the sun and they're getting uh kid, chronic kidney disease and there've been 60,000 deaths down there wow. it's a big deal our group has been involved in investigations uh it's been discussed in you know all the big journals and magazines and and we think that one of the most more likely causes is heat stress and dehydration and we can find evidence for that there may be some toxins involved as well, and we can talk about that. But dehydration's really important. Okay. When you get dehydrated, uh, in the old days, uh, they used to just give water and salt tabs. Yeah. And uh, our a friend of mine who invented Gatorade, Bob Cade,
0: yeah.
1: uh, was a kidney specialist in Florida, and I was the Cade professor. I was actually his no way. I was his physician as well. Wow. He invented Gatorade because, you know, the football players were were collapsing in the hot Florida sun. They were getting severely dehydrated. And, you know, originally one of the football player coaches came up to Cade while he was drinking coffee and said, Hey, why are the football players, why don't they pee when they go into a game? And, uh, and the, issue was they were getting dehydrated. And when you get dehydrated, your kidneys shut down and you don't urinate. Ah. So Kate actually studied these guys and they were losing liters of sweat in in an afternoon. They could lose like five to 10 pounds, uh, you know, just by being out in the sun and sweating so hard.
0: I had coaches when I was doing football as a kid. They wouldn't let you drink water because they were toughening you.
1: Oh, that's bad, <laughs> that's <laughs> bad. So what, what happened was, um, Kate found out that they were taking water in salt taps. Okay. And he had just been at a medical conference, uh, you know, a few weeks before, uh, where they talked about how to absorb salt in the gut. You need to have glucose present. And if you just take salt alone, you don't absorb it very much, but if you take salt with glucose, you can absorb the salt much more effectively, and so he goes, "Oh my gosh, you know these guys g- are going to need glucose with their salt and water." Plus, he started measuring. The, you know, he he put these big rubber gloves that go all the way up to the shoulder that you use to, uh, you know, to deliver a baby horse a foal. Okay. And he had the football players wear them, <laughs> and so they sweat in there, and then he would collect the sweat and measure it. And he figured out that they were losing not just salt, but they were losing potassium. They were losing a lot of other things.
0: In the sweat with all these other minerals.
1: In the sweat. And they also, he noted that, um, that you know, you're burning fuel when you're out there working out, you know, and you're, yeah. you're burning that glucose. And some of the players had very low blood glucose levels. They were basically, uh, they, they were fuel deprived.
0: They were bonking.
1: And so he developed his his Gatorade, you know, by mixing uh, his solutions that had glucose, salt, water, potassium. Uh, initially, it didn't taste very good. And, you know, they added lemons and all this other stuff to make it better. And then later on, when it became a popular drink, someone started to add fructose in it. Now,
0: That's very sweet.
1: Yes, to sweeten the Gatorade. And the fructose... A little fructose turns out to be a good thing if you're uh, dehydrated because what it does is uh, the fructose actually helps accelerate the glucose absorption and it actually increases the ability to burn energy and for, for the muscles to, to optimally work. So it turns out that a little bit of fructose with glucose, salt, and water is like the ideal. And, and drinks like G2, the, the lighter, the Gatorade that has the lower uh, fructose content, you know, those are very good drinks in the setting of dehydration.
0: You mean while you're exercising?
1: Yes, while you're exercising. Now, if you're drinking a lot of Gatorade, which has sugar in it, when you're not exercising, it uh, it's not something I recommend. But because it's we know that the sugar will build up and cause its own problems. Yeah. But but for the when you're dehydrated, uh, it's really important that you stay try to stay hydrated. Now there is a uh, complication that's been reported, uh, particularly in marathon runners who overdrink, and especially if you're drinking a lot of water. Normally, I encourage a lot of water. I, I think you everyone should eat eight, drink eight to ten glasses of water a day. Good, Glenn. I see you're drinking water.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And and it, you know it really is healthy. It it helps the kidneys. It's good for kidneys. It's good for uh, the metabolic syndrome. But if you're running a marathon and you get behind, so that you're a little dehydrated, you can stimulate a hormone. That makes you hold on to water, and uh, if you drink a lot of water really fast while you're trying to correct your dehydration, some people will get water intoxicated, and there have been a few deaths. In, like there was a death in the Boston Marathon, I think, probably 15 years ago, that was related to to drinking too much water.
0: What is happening in the body when you have too much water?
1: It's called hyponatremia. And your blood has a certain salt concentration. And normally when you get dehydrated, you lose more water than salt. So your salt concentration is high. And if you drink water, you're supposed to bring it back down to normal. But in marathon runners in particular, uh, if they get behind, they can drink so much water that instead of taking it back to normal, it goes from high to suddenly low. And if it drops too low, it makes the head, the brain swell, Oh. and that's not good because um, what happens is you end up having coma or convulsions, seizures.
0: So, the water is being absorbed out of the blood into the tissues, and so the brain swells. Yeah. Okay, let's avoid that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, so dehydration is a major uh, issue, and day-to-day, I recommend everyone to drink 8 to 10 glasses of water. And uh, we know that it, it's good f- to keep for the kidneys, but it's also good at, uh, we, we can even show that it can help reduce fat in animals.
0: Drinking water?
1: Yeah, it, it's sort of an interesting story. Let me, I'll tell you the story. Okay. So f- fat is an energy source and animals will become fat to like survive during winter. So like your bear will become fat in the winter and then it will hibernate. While it's hibernating, it doesn't eat or drink and it lives off its fat. And the so the fat is sort of like a stored calories. It's like stored calories. So when we eat, cal- we eat food, we're getting calories for energy. But if we get into a situation where uh, there's no food, Then we have to burn fat. So if you fast, for example, you're going to start burning the fat. And the burning of the fat is to provide the the energy you need to survive when there's no food around. Well, interesting, when you burn fat, you also make water. Hmm. And this is really interesting. It's called metabolic water. So fat turns out to be not only a source of calories, but a source of water. Hmm. And a lot of animals use fat as a water source. So, for example, Just like a camel? Yeah, like the camel. It has a hump of fat on its back, which it can use to break down to provide calories or water if it needs it. And a lot of desert animals will have fat in their tails or on the hump, uh, they don't want it on the body because then it will insulate and make them overheat, right? Right. So they have to have it uh, ectopic fat. So it's like on the hump or in the on the neck or in the tail. Like there's a, a little jerboa, which is like a little mouse and has a big fat tail that it uses. It can use as a water source. And lemurs, you know, there are these lemurs in Madagascar, and some of them hibernate. It's not true hibernation. It's called estivation. It's the same thing, but it's in the heat. And what happens is when it gets really hot and the and everything dries up, there's no water around. And they actually store the fat, go into a hollow in a tree, and then they'll burn the fat to provide not just calories, but water.
0: While they wait out the heat?
1: Yeah, yeah, where they weigh out. And when the bear is hibernating, it's getting water from the fat. So it turns out that when you get mildly dehydrated, not severely dehydrated, if you get mildly dehydrated, it actually stimulates processes to make you fat. Ah, The body wants to try to get a little fat if you get mildly dehydrated.
0: So if you're chronically getting dehydrated a little bit every day.
1: Yeah, if you're severely dehydrated, you're going to get nauseated, you're going to curl up and and, and you'll probably burn some fat for water. But that's not the way to burn fat because you don't want to get severely dehydrated.
0: And you hurt your kidneys.
1: Right. But if you get mildly dehydrated, you turn on the production of fat. And so what we did, you, and you know how you get mildly dehydrated? Yeah. You eat a lot of salt. When you eat salt.
0: Salty pretzels. Yes, okay. salty
1: pretzels that makes you thirsty. And when you're thirsty, you're activating the process to put on fat. And it's a, a process to help you make fat so that you can produce water. So what we did is we did this experiment where we took animals and we gave them a salty food for months. And what happens is they end up eating more and they get really fat and, so, and they get diabetic. But then we did another group where we gave them the same amount of salt, but we gave them water with it. And we, when we did that, we, and we had to give it as a type of uh, in the food, we put the water in the food, so it was like a gel. But when they ate that food, they, they uh, did not raise their salt concentrations, they did not show dehydration, even though they were eating the salt, and they uh, actually did not get as fat. And then we took fat animals, and we put them on water, and we could reduce their, their obesity and improve their insulin resistance. And we were able to show how it worked.
0: So it wasn't a calorie thing. It was just a water volume thing.
1: Yeah. It relates to this, the serum salt concentration. Wow. So actually, if you guys want to, if you want to kind of test yourself, yeah. if you want to know if you're dehydrated or not, or, and some people chronically are dehydrated, the first thing is look at the color of your urine. If your urine is bright yellow you are dehydrated unless you're taking some kind of dye or something. <laughs>
0: vitamin B or something. Yeah, yeah,
1: the, yeah, that's one, exactly. What is it, riboflavin? One of them, maybe it's, is it thiamin? No, it's not thiamin, uh, but one of the vitamins will make your urine turn kind of yellow, uh, a B vitamin. I think it might be riboflavin. But anyway, bottom line is if your urine is, your urine should be clear or just slightly, slightly yellow. You don't probably don't want it to be just like water, but you want it to be just very, very light yellow-tinged. If it's dark yellow, drink more fluid. That's a good rule, yeah. okay?
0: Now, sometimes in the morning when you wake up, you can have darker, uh, I'm speaking about myself, obviously, Yes. darker urine. Is that a sign that I was dehydrated and I was injuring my kidneys?
1: No, because during the night, the kidneys will concentrate a little bit so that you don't have to get up to pee. Okay, yeah. But during the day, you clearly want to try to keep that urine nice and light. Great. Yeah. The other way you can do it is when you see your doctor, if they get a urine test, look at the specific gravity. The specific gravity should be low. It should be like under ten, ten. Uh, but if it's really if it's a high specific gravity, it means you're not drinking enough water. Another thing is um, is to look at your serum sodium on your blood test.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, recently it was it was noted that people who have a high serum sodium, which goes with being mildly dehydrated, not only are at risk for kidney disease, but they're at risk for increased risk for heart disease, dementia, diabetes, all the bad things. So people who are not drinking enough water can get into trouble. And if you look at your serum sodium, it can even be in the upper normal range, and you're you're you It's not good. So the normal serum sodium goes from like one thirty six to one forty four, and uh, if if your number is around one thirty eight to one forty one, you're in the good group. You'd like it to be like 140, one forty one one thirty nine one thirty eight maybe one forty one. If you're between one forty two and one forty four. Even though it's normal, you're at increased risk for developing all these complications and bad diseases. This was just came out from the National Institute of Health. It's not my work. It's the the group there. But we actually identified the mechanism and basically just stay well hydrated. So that's probably one of the best things I can tell everyone to do uh, as we get older. Just make sure you drink enough fluid.
0: That's a great tip.
1: And don't drink sugary beverages.
0: Okay, so the regular sodas or fruit juice or sweet teas—these yeah, things, are bad. just it's like doesn't matter if you really like it; it's killing you.
1: It is killing you. Okay, yeah, we did it. we did a study by the way, where we did it, did a study in people where we gave salty soup, and we when we gave salty soup to a to volunteers, their blood pressure went up within minutes and then we gave the salty soup with water and their blood pressure didn't go up even though they ate the same amount of salt wow so the problem of salt is that it raises your the concentration of salt in your blood that triggers this high blood pressure it also makes you triggers this thing to become fat and it uh, it's sort of like a type of dehydration
0: got it Something you mentioned to me last time, and and I don't remember you saying it here, but I thought it was really important, so I'm going to throw it out. This business of your blood pressure goes up, but then, of course, your kidneys work on it, and it comes back down. It gets rid of the salt, and the blood pressure comes back down. It's like, well, so what's the problem? Well, the problem is that when the blood pressure was up, problems were happening that accumulate over time, so the more times it goes up, even if it doesn't stay up, you're accumulating problems. Am I right about that? You're 100% right about that. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, people talk about, oh, I don't want blood sugar spikes. Uh, You know, it's it's more than just I don't want high blood sugar all the time. I don't even want spikes in my blood sugar. What we're saying is, yeah, you don't want high salt in your blood all the time, of course, but you don't want spikes either because that means you're dehydrated and that's causing damage. That's right. That's absolutely right. So when your blood pressure shoots up,
1: it's causing a little bit of injury to the kidney, but then the kidney repairs. But if you're doing it a lot, you get into trouble. If you get dehydrated and your serum sodium goes up, that activates things that can cause a little bit of damage to the kidneys and elsewhere. Uh, Yeah. So you're right. Um, So that's why it's important to be ahead of the game. And like, if you're going to play tennis drink glass of water before you go out in the court, you know?
0: Awesome. Not a gallon. Not a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want a swollen brain.
1: Did I say a gallon? I said a glass, <laughs> no, <didn't>. I think. <laughs> no, no.
0: I was just saying, but not a, don't drink a gallon of it. I actually, one time was, was out doing a climb and, and I can't remember what happened, but some catastrophe happened and we ran out of water. And oh, yeah. so we're coming back, me and my buddy, Brian, and we're just dying. We've been out of water for like seven hours and yeah, we're just dying. Time. We could barely make it. And I said, I'm drinking a gallon of water. And I went to the store on the way home and I bought a gallon of water and I drank half of it. <laughs> and then I felt like I was going to puke for an hour. So I, I never managed to kill myself.
1: Yeah, I don't think I would. Well, you know, a court would be okay. Yeah, you didn't kill yourself. So yeah, you don't want to drink huge amounts, uh, but drink, drink a fair amount. The wait.
0: Yeah. Don't get behind if you can, but if you do get behind.
1: That's the trick. Don't get behind because you could get that. You could get that rebound
0: problem. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're going to run out of time here and we haven't talked about Alzheimer's or dementia yet. And so again, in the, that last episode that we did where you were talking about these blood pressure spikes And your kidney tries to protect itself, but it can't fully protect itself and accumulates damage over time. In fact, it's the repair of the kidney by the immune system that causes the inflammation, which makes it harder for the kidney to do its job. The same thing you said is happening at the blood-brain barrier. Is this related to this dementia thing?
1: Yeah. So, so blood pressure... Chronic severe hypertension can cause a dementia, too. There is this thing called vascular dementia. And there's a breakdown in the blood-brain barrier. And you can get a very low-grade injury with very high, you know, if your blood pressure goes up a lot. I mean, you can get this thing called vascular dementia. The one I was wanting to talk about more is Alzheimer's disease, which is a different type of dementia. But, yeah, you can get vascular dementia From severe hypertension and vascular disease.
0: Okay, so tell us about this other way that you know about that contributes to the development of Alzheimer's.
1: Yeah, so just very briefly, you know, Alzheimer's is now becoming one of the most common causes of death.
0: And it's a terrifying cause of death because we're not ourselves, we lose ourselves.
1: Yeah. It's like the worst because you exactly, I mean, it's terrible for the person. It's terrible for the families. You basically lose your, who you are. It's a disease none of us want to get. Um, and so the question is, you know, why is it increasing? What can we do about it? And so when people study it, they, they see that the, the brain cells are dying and the brain shrinks. It's really a bad disease and when they look in the brain they see these things called plaques and these plaques for the last 50 years people have thought that's got to be the cause right and so there've been the huge attempt to try to block those plaques or to try to treat those plaques and you're right they're called amyloid plaques and at least 15 to 20 drugs went to you know trial to try to See if they could get rid of those plaques and help people. Yeah. And a couple of them have just kind of a borderline effects and nothing great. It's obviously in the big picture, it's a failure. Yeah. So the question is, what next? So then. Right.
0: If it's not the plaques, then what is it?
1: Yeah. So when you look at people with. Uh, with Alzheimer's, when, they, when it's really bad and the brain is shrunk, it's kind of late in the game. So what they want to do is to try to look at it when people are just beginning to have memory trouble and, huh. and you know, what's going on at that stage. Because maybe that's the time to to best treat it, to be most effective. And when they looked at it, they found three things. They found that the, there was a problem of the brain cells to make energy. What we call ATP, yeah. and that's because the mitochondria, which make ATP, were, were you know weren't working very well. And the second thing was there was a problem getting fuel into the brain cells. There was a thing; the brain was becoming what we call insulin resistant, and it was there, there was problems with glucose, the fuel getting in. Okay, so you got a problem with fuel, and you got a problem with energy. And that's associated with the third problem, which was inflammation. And that triad seems to be what is developing in the brains before people get the frank dementia. So then mm. the question is, okay, well, that's great. What are we going to do? So a lot of people are trying to treat the insulin resistance. People are giving intranasal insulin. There's people trying to improve the mitochondria and block inflammation. There are all these trials, but no one is really looking at the direct cause. And so, this last year, our group, along with David Perlmutter, who you probably know, a very famous neurologist, sure. Dale Bredesen, a, a very famous neurologist who's been one of the first to reverse Alzheimer's, hmm. we got together and, and we we looked at the evidence that sugar might be involved in in Alzheimer's. And what we found was this. We found first that sugar intake as well as intake of high glycemic carbs, like rice, potatoes, I mean, the high carb diets are associated with increased risk for Alzheimer's. So we knew that.
0: So like people who eat those kinds of diets tend to have higher incidence.
1: You're right. It doesn't mean you shouldn't ever eat sugar, but if you're eating sugar every day, you're going into the high risk group, okay? Okay. You don't want to do it. If you drink two soft drinks a day, the chances your brain's going to shrink is higher than if you don't. Okay. That's yeah. definitely shown. Then the second problem is if you give soft drinks to rats, they can't get through a maze after about two weeks. They, 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 they have trouble cognitively that you can actually test rats, you know, mental function by seeing how long it takes them to get through a maze. Normally, A rat will take a long time, but the second time it will get through a little faster. And the third time it will get faster. And it it learns, it can learn. But if you give it sugar, that learning's gone. It's gonna be the same. It's gonna take that same long time every time. Hmm. And so that, and then if you look in the brains of a rat that's been fed sugar, you find three things. You find that low energy, you find that inflammation, And you find that insulin resistance the same three things and then our group you know has shown that it's the fructose component of sugar that that does this and you can make fructose you can make fructose in your body from glycemic carbs like bread rice and when your blood glucose goes up you start making fructose
0: so with these that we were talking about earlier, your body will get rid of some of it by converting it?
1: Yes, so when you eat a pizza, or a hamburger, especially the bun, okay? And your, your blood glucose is sitting there at 100, which is beautiful, and one hour after you eat it, your blood glucose is 160. If you carry like a continuous glucose monitor, you yeah. can see that. And that can happen in a normal person who eats a big meal with pizza and uh, hamburger and french fries, suddenly your glucose goes up to 150 and you are making fructose in the brain. And Mm. that fructose in the brain turns out to be what causes those three things. We believe, we have good evidence for it. And people with Alzheimer's have high fructose in their brain, high fructose levels, five to six fold higher than others. Wow. And so uh, we think that this is, you know, driving the dementia. Um, And so what I would recommend, you know, as we get older and you're worried about, you know, what's coming and you do not want to get dementia, just cut back the sugar, cut down on the soft drinks and cut down on, on the high glycemic carbs. There's four big ones, right? There's bread, rice, Potatoes and cereal; those are the big four. Pasta, a little bit, you know, but but the big four are bread, rice, potatoes, and cereal. And if you put salt on it, it makes it it makes it faster.
0: Makes it worse?
1: It's, yes, it stimulates it.
0: So, like salty crackers? Yeah.
1: If you put uh, if you have a plain baked potato, which tastes good, but it tastes much better with salt. Beware the salt will speed the production of fructose. It's better to try not to salt those wow. those things. Like, I mean, if you could eat French fries without salt, but it's very hard, but uh, yeah, but even there you're gonna, it's still not good. It's just the salt makes it worse. So uh, bottom line is uh, I think Alzheimer's should be preventable and uh, stay hydrated. Don't eat so much salt, don't eat much sugar, try to reduce your carbs to some extent still eat a cake on your birthday you know that's okay still eat uh you know some bread every day but just try to don't eat it by itself uh you know if you if you eat the bread in the beginning of the meal the glucose is going to go up if you're going to eat a slice of bread eat it in the middle of the meal so that the food other food will slow the absorption of the bread so that you the glucose won't go so high
0: I see. So get some fiber and some fats and maybe proteins before the really uh, high glycemic index carbs. Yeah. Okay. You know, the one thing that we haven't talked much about, but since we're given a sort of a laundry list of things to do to stay healthy and, and really not just for the kidney, but not even just metabolic health, but brain health even. We haven't talked about uh, how to keep uric acid down. Uric acid seems like a bad player. Uh, I think maybe there's some dispute about whether it's just a marker of bad things, and I think you think that it's actually a causal agent. Yeah, I mean,
1: I we have very good evidence that it's that it can be causal. I mean, we have tons of of data on it, but there are there is a controversy about it. But I, I think that the uh, if you, you want to. Uh, you can go to my website and you know can look at some of the papers and yeah. talks that I've given on it. But yeah, uric acid uh, is a problem, and people with gout have a high frequency of of high blood pressure and obesity and diabetes, and we think that the uric acid is contributing to that. So, I keeping your uric acid down is a good move. There's some simple things that can do it.
0: Yeah,
1: um, you know, one of them is to stay well hydrated. Drinking water can lower uric acid. That's a, you know an easy one, right? Yeah. Vitamin C is a vitamin that actually lowers uric acid. Awesome! It's quite effective. Five hundred milligrams a day. It's healthy and
0: okay. So not healthy. mega doses, but just some every right. day. Right.
1: Five hundred milligrams a day. You are maybe a gram, but don't go over that. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, there's, there's supplements. There's this one that uh, David Perlmutter sells called uh, quercetin.
0: Uh-huh.
1: That, that actually can lower uric acid fairly well. Yeah. Another one uh, is, you know, look at the medications that you're on. Um, certain medications can raise uric acid, like thiazide diuretics. Um, oh. And, you know, so if you're on a diuretic, talk to your doctor. Maybe he can give you a different medicine and that can keep your uric acid lower. Uh, there, there are these new drugs called SGLT2 inhibitors sure. that are being used to treat all kinds of diseases like diabetes and so forth. Yeah. And they help lower uric acid, so that's another one.
0: Awesome. Well, what about purines? You didn't mention those this time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get there. I was just gonna say this. Study came out where they looked at people at age 60 uh-huh. and they made a prediction of who is going to make it to 100. And and then they followed it up 40 years later. So they actually were able to look at age 60, what's your risk, um, what's your likelihood you're going to make it to 100? And guess what one of the best markers was? A low uric acid is associated with living to 100. So keep that in mind.
0: That's in a normal blood panel, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, not in everyone's. It used to be, but it's not in everyone. You probably have to request it. Okay. And then there's certain foods that raise uric acid. And the, the big ones, of course, are sugar. Sugar and fructose. That's fruit juice, you know. Natural fruits are great. We've probably talked about this before. Natural yeah. fruits don't have much fructose. They have vitamin C. They have all these other things that are fiber, good,
0: right?
1: Yeah. yeah, fiber. But 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 a lot of uh, you know, fruit juice that's concentrated in fructose, that raises uric acid. Alcohol okay. raises uric Ooh. acid especially beer beer is really bad at raising uric acid so if you can cut back on beer uh, and then certain foods that we call them purine rich foods but there aren't that many that really raise uric acid big time the big ones are things like um like shellfish which we love like shrimp and crab and lobster thankfully they're so expensive we none of us (laughs) can can eat it all the time but if you did, you'd get into trouble and uh, um, and certain, you know. Um, what about sardines? Fat, fatty, yes, yeah, sardines can do it. Fatty mm-hmm. red meats can do it a little bit. I know that there's a big, you know, the carnivore, in general carnivore diets are pretty healthy, um, but uh, you know, uh, a lot of red meat and uh, processed meats, uh, you know, can raise uric acid. Yeah, gravy bacon. <laughs>
0: yeah. All the good stuff.
1: All the good stuff. That's what Mark Twain said. You, if you want to get healthy, just don't eat anything that you like. That's like, good. It well, <laughs> tastes, good. tastes good. If it tastes good, you got to spit it out. That's what Mark Twain said. <laughs> well, uh, the,
0: Sucks, truth, the truth of the matter is that you learn to like what you're eating. So if you eat healthy after a while, that's what you'll like.
1: Yeah. That's some truth to that. Although if you just gave me a plain cracker, with nothing on it, I probably would would be bored to death. It probably wouldn't yeah. be good for me either.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know what to say about the plain cracker. But I, I'll tell you that I as a kid, I hated vegetables. And now I love vegetables. Yeah. And and why, how did that happen? Well, because I started eating them because I knew that they were good for me. Well, how did I know that? My mom told me that. So it uh, turned out she was right. But I kept eating them because I wanted to you know, please my mom and I wanted to be a healthy person. And now I love them. So I'm telling you that is how it works. Uh, why? I don't, I don't know, but that's, that's how it works. Go ahead. I was just going to say that when I was young, I worked out on a farm one weekend and was
1: so hungry and I worked all day and they, I hated sauerkraut and the, and I sat down, and they, I asked for doubles of everything, and I had this big plate of food. I was about to eat it, and this woman comes out and says, "You must like sauerkraut." I go, "No, please, no, please!" And she poured it all over the food. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't eat it, and I still don't like sauerkraut. But oh. I do like a lot of vegetables. But yeah, don't don't feed me sauerkraut.
0: We're going to run out of time here, Doctor Johnson. I, Let's let's just kind of run through the books that you've written, uh, which are amazing. Tell us about your books.
1: Yeah, so my most recent book is Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. And that kind of gives an update of what's been going, you know, of our research on what drives obesity. And, uh, and it turns out that, you know, there's a, a lot of things that are good and good foods and bad foods, of course. But yeah, uh, this book kind of talks about our work. Uh, research that kind of linked fructose as being the the main driver of obesity and metabolic syndrome. And it's not just the fructose we eat, but the fact that our bodies can make it. So that's, that's the most recent book. Uh, the Fat Switch was one that was before that. I also have a website, drrichardjohnson.com, that you yeah. might want to check out and uh, has lots of
0: tidbits in there. So thank you. Great. And I have two other episodes with you, which are amazing. I'm going to put all of that and the past episodes in the show notes of this show, because people really, they, what you are saying is not just important. It's like easy advice to follow. Like, <laughs> it, there's nothing to it. Now, maybe if you're addicted to regular Cokes, then it, it could be hard, but it's going to save your life. So you really ought to do that. Dr. Johnson, thank you very much. This has been magnificent uh, again. And now I know how to save my brain even. So, all right. You (laughs) you succeeded.
1: You bet. Thanks, buddy. All
0: right. You have a good night. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining our chat with Dr. Rick Johnson. You can find more information about Dr. Johnson and his contact info in the show notes.